Welcome to the Scholar's Attic, an audio archive of our tour through world history, specifically the modern age, from the French Revolution to current events of 2021. Welcome to the Attic. If it's not COVID, then it's the weather. I don't know, there's always something that seems to be throwing a hiccup into the class schedule. Obviously, we are not meeting tomorrow, and tomorrow was when I planned to start watching the movie M, directed by Fritz Lang, with you in class. Since it can't happen in person, I'm going to let you watch this on your own. Fortunately, it is available in, in its entirety on YouTube without commercial interruptions, which is an extra plus, especially for those of us who have the free version of YouTube at our house. So what is M? Well, I'm about to explain that to you, but allow me to say right now that if you are listening to this and you still do not have an email from me with some kind of worksheet or study guide to go with this movie, check out the liner notes for this podcast. If you go to the description of this podcast, I have added extra information, including the URL that will take you directly to the full cut of this movie on YouTube. So be looking for that. And now let's take a quick flyover of the movie M and why it matters in our study of World War II. M, which premiered in 1931, is considered one of Fritz Lang's two masterworks from the late silent slash early talking movie era. It is the story of how a community bands together from the highest in law enforcement to the lowest among the homeless vagabonds to find and stop a serial killer who preys upon young children. Now, before I say anything else about this movie, let me make a note right here. This is not a graphic movie. It does not show explicit death, murder, or violence against anyone, let alone children. Like an Alfred Hitchcock movie or an Edgar Allan Poe story, the evil is implied. You are left with the wanted posters, the empty seat at the dinner table, and the rising fear of the community. These things communicate the situation, not the crimes themselves. So why are we watching this? This is a German movie filmed during Hitler's rise to power. As such, it acts as a remarkable time capsule for the era. So just as a snapshot, in 1931, the year of this movie's release, Germany had already been in a horrible depression for over 12 years. Hitler's failed first attempt at seizing power, the Beer Hall Putsch, had taken place some eight years earlier. In this year, 1931, Hitler's new bestseller, Mein Kampf, his autobiography, had sold over 50,000 copies, and it had brought him a good bit of money and also helped bring the Nazis into a more favorable place in society, and they had risen to the second largest political party in Germany. Hitler's star was on the rise. 
His network and his following was growing. People wanted his autograph. They wanted mementos from him. And two years after this film was released, Hitler was named Chancellor of Germany. Hitler was already a fan of director Fritz Lang's Metropolis, which came out in 1927 and is one of the most famous silent movies ever made. Considered one of the original science fiction films, it is set in a futuristic utopian society. It displays a culture with deeply divided social classes where the workers are forced to live underground while the controlling elite live on the surface. A Romeo-Juliet romance of sorts springs up between an elite and a worker amid prophecies of a savior-slash-intermediary who will unite their world and set things right. Hitler no doubt liked this movie because some of its themes, or its imagery at least, grafted well with his idea of a nationalistic state, even though, ironically, it meant that he dismissed the real meaning of the film you know, the whole savior setting things right part of the story. One has to wonder what Hitler's impression was when he came away from Fritz Lang's other masterpiece, this movie that you're about to watch, M. Today, we would call this movie a biopic, a movie based on the life of an actual person. This movie shadows the real-life sensation of a German serial killer who was then awaiting trial and execution for his crimes. The movie starred Peter Lorre in his film debut. If you're a fan of old Hollywood, then you probably recognize Peter Lorre from more famous American and British films, such as Casablanca, The Maltese Falcon, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and near and dear to Lighthouse's heart, the madcap dark comedy Arsenic and Old Lace. Peter Lorre himself was born in Hungary in 1904. He has an appropriately morose childhood befitting his stage presence, but I won't go into all of that here. It is enough to know that after several odd jobs and spending part of the 1920s studying psychology under the immediate disciples of Sigmund Freud, he made his way to Berlin in 1927. At that time, Berlin was the Hollywood of the film industry. If you wanted to break into movies, the really talented actors went to Berlin. Not London, not Los Angeles, not New York. Berlin was the mecca of filmmaking at the time. After some mis misadventures, Laurie was cast as the villain in the biopic M. Weeks after the film's premiere, the actual serial killer on whom the movie was based was executed by, get this, guillotine, while Peter Laurie became an international star. Unfortunately, he also attracted the attention of two notorious Nazis. Adolf Hitler, and Nazi Minister of Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels. Hitler especially wanted Peter Lorre to star in a new spate of Nazi-approved films that would pave the way for the glorious artistic future of Aryan Germany. Now, there were several big problems with this, not the least of which was Peter Lorre's heritage. His real name was Laszlo Lowenstein, which points to the obvious fact that he was of Jewish extraction. The more favor favorable attention he got from the Nazis, the more uncomfortable he became.
Fritz Lang faced a similar dilemma. His mother was a Jew who had converted to Catholicism, but the distinct bloodline was there. The upshot is that he fled Germany in 1933 after Joseph Goebbels offered him a job as head of the German Cinema Institute. Ironically, Joseph Goebbels also warned Peter Lorre to leave Germany while he had a chance, which he did. He went from Germany to Czechoslovakia, then to France, then to London, where Peter Lorre landed a sizable role in an Alfred Hitchcock movie, despite the fact that he knew virtually no English. The way he snowed Alfred Hitchcock into thinking he knew English is one of the most bizarre audition stories ever, and testament to Laurie's close study of psychology and human mannerisms, which, I might add, he uses to expert effect in the movie M. But that brings us back to the Hitler question. Why did he like the movie M so much? Did he identify so closely with the criminal lunatic? Was it the clear homage to the efficiency of a well-run Germany police state? Did he identify strongly with the downtrodden, terrified, and disheartened people of Germany as was portrayed in the film? Or all of the above? Who knows? In the end, it probably doesn't really matter. Hitler was a sick, sick man, and the movie portrays a sick man, though blessedly without a lot of the raw violence and voyeurism we've come to expect in modern movies. However, the movie does depict Germany at the depth of its awful depression, at its most jaundiced, when all it wanted was to isolate itself, lick its wounds, and protect its own. That is one of the big reasons I show this movie every time we get to this point in modernity. So, with all that in mind, let me lay down some things that you should look for as you watch this movie. From a cinematic point of view, one of the things you're going to be looking at is, is the use of sound versus silence in this movie. Some parts were filmed in silent movie style, meaning that there was no soundtrack to those scenes. There was never intended to be a soundtrack to those scenes. The silence speaks for itself. Other parts of the movie use the soundtrack. The sound is a little bit tinny in places, but you know, 1931, we'll give them that. But make note of when Fritz Lang uses which method. He chooses those opportunities very carefully, when to use sound, when to use silence. Also, I want you to watch carefully for the switching of points of view. There's this interesting contrast for the bulk of the movie there in the middle where it goes between the police and the criminal underworld as both groups go on their own witch hunt for the kinder murder. Kinder murder meaning the villain in this story, the serial killer that they're trying to catch. So pay attention to this switching of the points of view. Now, the first time I ever saw the movie, I got a little confused in a couple of places. It is a black and white movie. The film is very crisp and clear in some places. It's a little more dark and murky and other places. And there was one point in particular where I actually lost track 
of whether I was looking at the police or the underground criminals. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe I wasn't just paying attention that well the first time around. I don't know. You look, you tell me which you think it is, if it was deliberate or if that was just Miss Goff not paying attention during her first viewing. Um, also, I want you to pay attention to this pervasive notion of honest thieves. The Thieves Guild is at the head of the criminal underworld in this movie. And all of the criminals in this movie, even the so-called honest ones, are in a lot of ways very likable. Most of them. Now, there is one in particular that you look at and you're like, oh, this is the clear in a way Aryan representative in this scenario. Um, he comes off as being, being a little more Nazi-ish than the others, but without being a Nazi. He's not wearing a swastika. He's not goose-stepping. You know, remember the Nazi party was still on the rise while this movie was being made, but he just sort of stands out in an odd way. You'll know when you see him. Um, also, pay attention to the old school detective work going on in this movie. Uh, look at how fingerprinting and handwriting analysis, not to mention uh, the early form of psychology, are all being employed in the effort to catch Dekinder murder. Look also at the way in which the kinder murder is discovered and marked as the culprit. Marked as the culprit, key phrase there. Um, very interesting little plot twist there. So be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, there is the wonderfully convoluted, sometimes comic, believe it or not, there are some wonderful comic moments in this movie. Th they are scattered and they are few, but when they pop up, they're real gems. Uh, but during this long, convoluted uh, sort of denouement, as the news begins to tighten around the kinder murder, you know, everyone's closing in. Pay attention to the where and the how that the kinder murder is finally cornered. Now, at the risk of giving some spoilers here, although I don't think you'll mind because I think I have a couple of tender-hearted people in my class who would just, you know, the, the idea of watching a movie about a serial killer is very off-putting. But like I keep telling you, the evil in this, it's implied, it's not explicit. Um, but here, here's a couple of spoilers that will help you uh, get into this movie. They do catch the guy. But it all happens in a very unconventional way. And things come to a head in something that is called the kangaroo court scene. Now, a kangaroo court, simply put, is when local people who are not in law enforcement take matters into their own hands and they pass judgment on someone whom they believe has done wrong. And there is such a kangaroo court in this movie, and they are the ones who bring Dekinder murder to trial. He's caught, but not by the police. And the way all of this unfolds is just really, really interesting. And it, it is in that scene 
that you start to see those pinpricks of the Nazi mindset starting to come through, even though this was not put out as Nazi propaganda, um, but you can see the mindset coming through and the moral questions that are being wrestled with in this movie that really come to the fore. Uh, also part of this is what the is said in the Kinder Murders defense and also what the Kinder Murder says in his own defense. And then of course, there is the ambiguous ending to this movie. It's, um, it's jarring. It's interesting. I'll let you tell me what you think about that. This is the nutshell version. There is so much more to explore in this movie. The camera angles alone, the way Fritz Lang frames a scene, the way he uses uh, camera angles in a way that is not seen in movies until the advent of Citizen Kane, the movie Citizen Kane. I, he was just such a groundbreaking director, and he really handled a dark subject very delicately. But there are also these moments where you almost catch your breath, you know, when you realize that the marking of the kinder murder maybe has this echo of the marking of the Jews later for the Holocaust. In fact, um, uh, one of the movie stills from this um, movie, uh, the photograph was used as a poster of, this is what a Jew looks like. This is how you identify him. Notice the big staring eyes. Notice this about him. Notice this other thing about him. And what it was, was a photograph of Peter Lorre in the movie marked as De Kindermurder. And of course, that was the tipping point for Peter Lorre. It wasn't just that Joseph Goebbels told him to beat it out of Germany as fast as he could, but it was realizing that the photo with his face on it was being put out as a wanted poster for Jews. So you're going to see layers in this. You're going to see layers that maybe audiences of the time did not see, but Looking at it in 2021, it, it's almost like scrawled across the screen in places like a neon sign. So there's there's your list of things to look for. I will at the very least put these in the liner notes so that you can see this in the description to the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging in there for this breathless tour of M by Fritz Lang. And Content aside, I hope you enjoy the movie. Is that a weird thing to say? I don't know. Maybe maybe enjoy isn't the right word, but I hope you appreciate why I am asking you to watch this. If you have any questions, you know how to find me, and I'll see you Friday. That wraps it up for this episode. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.